Hi, friend. Welcome to North City Church's podcast. We're a community that loves our neighbors in the way of Jesus. And we hope that this message or teaching empowers you to do just that in your everyday life. If you want to learn more about the ways our community is trying to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and online at NorthCityChurchMPLS.com. Enjoy the message. me. My name is Kara, um, and I am part of the leadership team here at North City and have been a part of this train since the beginning. Um, And, you know, one of my self-given titles uh, as a part of this church used to be the uh, church barista, but since we don't meet in the mornings anymore, my new self-given title is resident Bible nerd. So... I just love the Bible. I love talking about the Bible. I love reading the Bible. I love teaching the Bible. I'm just a mega nerd, and I'm owning it and living into that today. So, um, you know, I, uh, when JD first asked me to pick the story that I wanted to share today, of course, my first instinct was to pick my child's favorite Jesus story. So as Kara mentioned, we're going to be doing Jesus turning the water into wine, and I'll talk a little bit about more why that was his favorite. I actually don't know why. Who really knows with kids, but. All right, so I used to work on a farm um, many summers ago, and it was this beautiful farm situated on Illinois' bluffs. Um, It was a really awesome job. We grew everything from zucchinis to tomatoes, blueberries, and world-famous peaches. If you've ever heard of Calhoun peaches, that's where they came from. They're incredible. Um, And when I worked on this farm, I just felt like there were so many holy moments. That summer was very formative to my faith. Um, It sounds kind of silly, but for whatever reason, working on a farm just gives you this, like, connection to God and creation. It gave me so many fresh um, ways of viewing the gospel because of how much farming imagery there is. It was just a really special time. Um, It was hard work, of course, lots of sweat, but really awesome summer. Um, One of my favorite jobs on the farm was picking blackberries, which might sound kind of weird because as some of you know, berries, berry bushes often have thorns. Um, But for whatever reason, blackberries was just very therapeutic to me, and they grew like the best of the best blackberries. So They were called triple crown blackberries, and they were thornless, which was really great, especially because we had to pick other berries that were not thornless. And they were super sweet, and they were massive. Just like this big, all of them were so huge and amazing and juicy. And so one, I could eat them all day long and just be so satisfied. And two, they would tell us we didn't have to be as picky when we were picking those blackberries because what they would do is they would use any of the ones that weren't sellable in the stores or the market. And one of the farmers had this tradition of making homemade blackberry wine with any of the extra blackberries that they didn't use. Um, And it's so funny because they would like rave about this wine, like it's a family legacy. But every year, they'd only make about a dozen or so bottles because there wasn't always that much left over for them to make this wine. Um, 
And they rarely shared it with others. It was really just kind of a family thing, like the secret family treasure that they had, like their secret blackberry wine. I came close once to snagging a bottle, and I think one of their cousins or something got to it before me, but it was just so funny how they would like brag about this wine, and then like you never ever offered to share it with you. <laughs> it was just like this kind of thing they'd like lord over your head, like, yeah, we make this amazing wine. And, um, and I think it's funny because it kind of parallels, or not parallels, but it's kind of the opposite of what we're going to talk about talk about today in this story of Jesus turning the water into wine. And yeah, Cass went through this season of wanting us to read it to him or tell it to him over and over again. Um, and we could never really figure out why he was so drawn to that, but um, it caused me to want to know more. Like, why is this significant? Why is this in the Gospels? Well, in the gospel, it's actually only in the gospel of John, not in the other three. And it just pushed me to dig deeper to understand it. Um, so yeah, we're going to read um, this story together. But just to give a tiny bit of background, so the gospel of John, as I'm sure you could assume, was written by a man named John, who was a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Um, and the purpose of him writing this gospel is to tell the story of Jesus's life and his eventual death and resurrection, and really to kind of creatively paint the significance of Jesus's story in the context they were in um, historically. And there's two unique things to John's gospel that I felt like were worth pointing out. So one is he used a lot of temple and tabernacle imagery um, tabernacle was the Old Testament temple basically before it was built. It was the tent temple. Um, and the reason John uses this imagery so much in his gospel is to depict Jesus as the new temple, um, to show him as the new holy of holies, the new epicenter of God's presence, and um, that the arrival of God's presence is here on earth for all people. So next time you read John, you can kind of highlight those, that temple and tabernacle imagery. And the second thing that's unique to John is that he talks about these seven signs, um, signs as in things that point towards something. Um, and each of these signs point to Jesus and his new kingdom, and each one of them gives us a different aspect or window into who Jesus is claiming to be and how that is affecting the culture around them. Um, so we're going to look at John's first sign, which is, again, Jesus turning the water into the wine at the wedding feast. Um, and we're going to read that in John 2, starting in verse 1. I love reading the Bible. It just makes me so excited. So, <clears throat> On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? And side note, when he says woman, he's not like, woman, like he's not being disrespectful. That's not what's happening here. So just clear that up in your mind. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial, ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. 
They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So Jesus at this wedding, and it's most likely um, like a relative um, that's getting married, and that's why his mom basically calls him out and says, hey, we need to get some more wine. We're out. It would have been the family's responsibility to feed and uh, offer drink to the guests, right? So <clears throat> Mary tells these servants to do whatever Jesus asks him. Actually, I love that Kara pointed out the one part of the story I wasn't going to point out about Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come. Um, that, that was really sly. Good job. <laughs> but I, I don't want to gloss over that because I do feel like that's a question we have when we are reading this text. Like, why does Jesus say that? And I think he's just saying, my hour hasn't come to be glorified, but I'm going to do this anyway. So I just think it's just so typical Jesus to, to say that, to throw that in there. So um, Jesus instructs these servants to go fill these massive jars full of water. And these would have been huge jars that they would have used. Ritual purity purifying is like washing before a meal or another um, like religious sacraments or something along those lines to purify yourself before you do something in your day-to-day -day life. Um, so the, just, the servants do what he asks, and then they scoop out the water, and they take it to the head waiter of the party. And somewhere in between all of that happening, this water turns into wine, just kind of crazy. And the head waiter is shocked when he takes a drink of it and realizes this is fine wine. Now, disclaimer, anytime anyone in the Gospels is ever shocked or surprised by what Jesus does, including his disciples, which embarrassingly happens all the time, um, it's super important to stop and ask why. Why are they so surprised? Um, and what's important to know is just like John says, like this is not just box wine, guys. This is like the finest of the finest wine. Now, I'm not like a whiny. I don't know that much about wine. I mean, I prefer like a Merlot or something if I'm going to have a bottle, but or a glass, not a bottle. <laughs> Christian Ann could give you all the updates and all the things and teach you about all the wine, right? But that's not me. But all I know is that this was the good wine. And giving out the best wine and saving the box wine for the end of the party was just a matter of financial practicality. Like, you would let everyone celebrate and start off the party with this really great wine, and then when everyone's been served and doesn't care anymore, can't tell the difference anymore, that's when they'd bring out the box wine. It was just financially practical. And Jesus could have just whipped up some box wine, and it would have still been amazing. Like, turning water into wine is still a pretty big deal, no matter what it tastes like. And he could have showed up that way. But why? Why did he go above and beyond what anybody else would have done? Why did he provide this like abundant, incredible gift to this family and this party? And what I think is that it's echoing this kingdom of heaven coming down to earth through Jesus. 
And that kingdom being a kingdom full of abundance and generosity and wisdom and justice for all people. And I think it paints a picture of what we read in Isaiah, which I'm going to read really quick, about what this kind of banquet looks like when we're dining together in this kingdom with God. Um, so in Isaiah 6, or in Isaiah 25, 6 through 8, it says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Man, that is a promise that feels too good to be true, doesn't it? A giant feast with amazing food and drink, a table full of people from all over the world, all sorrow and grieving washed away, all sins forgiven, all shame undone, unhindered closeness to God. Like, sign me up. That sounds like the sweetest deal you could possibly imagine. And I think this miracle is displaying that kingdom coming, Jesus fulfilling that promise. And that that kingdom is not a kingdom of lack, but a kingdom of abundance. It's a kingdom that would purify you on the inside, that would overflow and spill outside of you and bless everyone around you. A kingdom that's not selective for one group of people in one specific time, but that, that overflows into all time and for all nations. Every tribe and tongue and nation called to himself. A kingdom that would connect heaven and earth forever, and that's through Jesus, the crucified and risen king. And that feels off to us because it's like, yeah, that's great. I love it. But like there's still pain and there's still suffering and there's still ache. And yes, the kingdom is here now, but it's also not finished. And we know that. We know the promises that God has given us through scripture that there is fulfillment and completion of this promise and this kingdom to come. But I want to always pause and reflect on how this kingdom lives through us, how it lives through the way we gather around these tables, how we engage our neighbors, how it continues to grow when we love out of this abundance and this kindness and this generosity. And it gives me this picture of this beautiful garden that is spread all across the world. And we're each given our own little corner to water and to weed and to plant, to harvest. And the fruit of that harvest isn't just for our family. It's not like we have a few pints of blackberries to make a few bottles of wine and it's just for our family. There is more than enough. And the harvest of what we grow and what we garden is to feed and water all of the earth and to share with all people. And it's an invitation to them that says, come, work, eat, invite. There is more than enough. And that's the kingdom that I believe Jesus brought when he came to earth and that he invites us to be a part of every day. So I'm going to pray, and then we are going to have um, some discussion time. So join me in prayer.
Jesus, we thank you for being our king. We thank you for coming to earth and showing us what it looks like to love and live an abundant and kind and generous life. And that you also showed us how to love and live through hardship and suffering and to still glorify our God. And we ask that you would give us humble hearts that are ready to continue pursuing your mission and to continue planting the garden and to continue building this kingdom that you have so generously blessed us with. We just glorify your name tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>